Uh, so the NBA is back, and um, let me let me just say this. So the Lakers lost on opening night to the Clippers, which really isn't a surprise to me. Um, I know some Laker fans already think that I, there are some. I I don't believe most, but I do know some personally who believe that the sky is already falling in LA. Um. You know, people are saying LeBron's washed up. Let me just, let me just, um, let me just, let me just get into this article. Um, LeBron James dismisses Lakers-Clippers being a rivalry after playing first game, but it certainly is now. Okay. In the 155 meetings between the Clippers and Lakers, only five times have the two teams split the regular season series two games apiece. Only six times have both teams made the playoffs in the same season, with one team being far superior than the other. In the past, it's been a rivalry born out of nothing other than location. They share the Los Angeles market and the same arena, but for decades the Clippers were an afterthought to the NBA fans and to the people in L.A. in general. Now let me say this. Let me say this. Let me. I grew up watching the Lakers. I grew up watching the Lakers. Um, as you guys know, I'm not a Laker fan. Um, I'm not a Laker fan. I was a Kobe fan. I do appreciate. I do appreciate the. Uh, I do appreciate the Lakers, and I I tend to root for them just since I'm from that area. But I want to consider myself a fan. But let me say this: as someone who understands Lakers Clippers and that whole thing there's two ways to look at this one way you can look at this is there is no competition between them and rivalry if you look at the if you look at the long-term picture so the Lakers have 16 championships the Clippers have zero okay and I and stay with me now. I know what some of you are thinking. Oh my God, another like another person who's living in the past. Stay with me. Stay with me. Okay, that's one. That's one side someone can take. One person can say, you know what? Even and I, I hold this. I hold this. I hold both ways to be true. Okay, in the grand scheme of things, there's no there's no competition. There's no rivalry. There isn't one. Even if the even if the Clippers win a championship this year, it's still a Laker town. It's still a Laker town because it would this the score would now be sixteen to one, and then Clipper fan and then Laker fans would look at the Clippers and say, "Okay, uh, do it again." Okay, the Lakers have sixteen. Let me let me just go over some numbers real quick. Okay, uh, okay, so the Lakers. Actually, I'm, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you like five seconds. Try not to Google. Try not to Google the answer. How many jerseys do you think the Lakers have retired? All right. So here we go. Kobe Bryant, eight and twenty-four. Okay. Wilt Chamberlain, thirteen. Elgin Baylor, twenty-two. Gail Goodridge, twenty-five. Magic Johnson, 32. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 33. 
Shaquille O'Neal, 34. James Worthy, 42. Jerry West, 44. 52, Jamal Wilkes. Okay. Now, some, now I do know some people who say, oh, you know, Kobe shouldn't, ha- shouldn't have had both of his jerseys retired. Personally, I think he should have. Simply because if you look at, if you look at his stats, as if you look at his stats, um, as if you look at his career as being number as wearing number eight, and his career stats at wearing number twenty four, they're both extremely impressive. And if you separate those two individuals, you would put both of those individuals in the Hall of Fame. I believe that's just me. Okay, so I do believe you know both of his uh, numbers should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, both of those numbers should be retired. Uh, to him. Now, how many do the Clippers have? They have none. Okay, there are more, there are more Laker figures, there are more Laker figures than there are Clipper figures. Okay, so you have Lob City, which is kind of the first time they, the Clippers were really cared about and, you know, somewhat paid attention to, but they didn't win anything. They had a lot of they had a lot of uh, tension in that franchise. Doc Rivers, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul. You just had a lot. You just had a lot of issues. All right. So now, I, that's why I would say this: on the on the grand scheme of the timeline, there's no competition. It it even if the Clippers win, it's going to be sixteen championships to one. Now, for a little bit, I would say for like the summertime, it would be a Clipper town, but it would still be like the Lakers would still be like, okay, this is our place. You're still in our arena. Um, you know, you you haven't you don't have any greats. You don't. There are no greats associated associated with the Clippers. All right. So that 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 that's that. Now, let me go on the others. Let me go the other way. On the you know. Short term, it is there is competition here. The Lakers and the Clippers are both contenders here. I would say the Clippers more so than the Lakers, but the Clippers are certainly contesting. Okay, and currently it you know there is a battle because it's like okay, so who's going to be king of LA? Um, LeBron didn't have a, LeBron didn't have a great game. And let me, let me just address this. People are saying, oh, you know, is LeBron rusty? I would, um, here's the thing. LeBron has, in my opinion, LeBron has earned the right to have some bad games. I don't know if you guys forgot already, but the man has been to eight straight finals. Obviously that streak has been broken. But he went to eight straight finals, mostly due to him. And so now he, you know, LeBron, and here's what people need to do. And I know, I know it's hard, especially for Laker fans. Don't compare Kobe to LeBron. They are two totally different people with two totally different mentalities. Kobe's mindset is to be a killer. He's always had that mumba mentality. Or I shouldn't say he's always had it, but he's always had the mindset of 
whoever's in front of me, they're about to die. That, that was Kobe's mentality. He's like, they're not going to beat me. That was it. Just his will to win and his will to, to dominate the game was there. LeBron's not like that. Both, to me, both are legends. LeBron's mindset is more, you know, share the ball, have more fun. Personally, I don't think Kobe, I don't think Kobe had that much fun playing because he was just so focused on doing really well, being at the top of his game, holding everybody responsible, including himself, dealing with injuries. I don't think he had that much fun during his career. But I think in Kobe's mind, he didn't care about having fun. He cared about winning. That's what he cared about. LeBron's like, you know, I want to play with my friends. I want to play with D Wade. Um, you know, he, he had, he has his friends and he, and he's worried about, you know, he focuses on that. He's got a lot of businesses outside of, um, basketball. So LeBron's more the, he's more the businessman. Kobe's more the, Kobe's more the killer. LeBron, LeBron just wasn't like that. So you have two different personalities. You have two different mindsets. So what you have to look at is, you know, LeBron, LeBron is not going to be Kobe. He's not going to go out every single game trying to do his best. 82 games is a lot of games. Now, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know when players just started to get so tired. 82 games has been, has been the norm for a while now. You know, except, you know, that lockout season where they started the, where they started on Christmas and they only had 60 games. But overall, the norm has been 82 games. I don't know when players started to just get so fatigued and so tired. Okay. But, you know, the focus now is, okay, save your energy for the playoffs. Save it, save it for the end. All right. And that's just that's just the mentality that we have in today's game. So, yeah, LeBron had a bad game. And let me be real. I don't think he's going to have his best season. But I he, remember, he's still LeBron James. He can still ball. I think LeBron, I think LeBron's going to be one of those people who. When he's done, he's done when he when he. When he can't do it anymore, because listen, he doesn't need basketball. LeBron James does not need basketball. Basketball needs LeBron more than LeBron needs basketball. LeBron could very easily just say, you know what, man, I just can't do it anymore. And he could very easily retire. LeBron has proven so much. He doesn't, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to, you know, try to stay on top when he knows he's, when he knows he's on the decline. He can, he's, I think he's going to have a very peaceful retirement and I'm going to be happy for him when it happens. But for the Clippers, you know, right now it, you know, they're fighting for supremacy in LA. The Clippers, the Clippers mindset is, okay, you know what? We've been on bottom long enough. We got a new owner. We've got two great stars. Uh, one of them just won a championship. You know, we're, 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 we're trying to do great things. We're about to get a new, we're about to get an arena of our own. The Clippers are on the move. They are on the move. So they are trying to prove something. They're playing with a chip on their shoulder like they, 
and it's a the chip to me is even bigger than you know the the past seasons. You could even say it's multiple chips because the Clippers have been seen overall as the little brother of the Lakers. I remember I remember one time um I was a kid, I think I was 6 or 7. I think I was 6. And we had the my family had the opportunity to go to a, a basketball game. And immediately I thought, "Oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to be able I'm going to be able to go to to watch the Lakers play in person." Which I had done before, but you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that often. It was very rare. But then, you know, I found out that they were Clipper tickets. And I was like, you know, I was like, oh, I still wanted to go because, you know, there's nothing like being at a bas- at a at an NBA game in person. It doesn't, you know, it's totally different from watching it on TV. You can't even compare the two. But it was just, you know, even when I was that young, I was like, oh, the Clippers. And I was like, well, you know, I, I, it'd be fun. It'd still be fun to go. That was my mindset, you know. And that, that's the mindset of a lot of other people from LA. The Clippers, the Clippers are still seen as a little brother. Once, here's the thing. Once the Clippers get out of Staples Center and they win some championships, then they'll start to be respected more. I don't think the Clippers are going to be as respected as they would like to be simply because they haven't won any, they haven't won anything. They don't have any legendary players. No, you know, no numbers have been retired. It, it, it's just one of those things where you look at it and you say, "Hey, man, you know, can you can you give us something?" I've no, I know, I've known a few Clipper fans, and you know, they enjoyed most of their pleasure. Came most of their pleasure recently has been coming from. The Lakers overall not being as good. Not from not from their team doing really well. Because Clipper fans understand what a champ they well they they think they do. They kind of think they do, but they don't. A championship changes things. Even if you go to the finals and lose, it's you know, it's powerful, but it's not a it's obviously you didn't win the championship. A championship changes your mindset. Winning changes everything. It really does. So, you have this situation, and I, I here's what I believe. You got you guys already know that I have the Clippers winning the title. Okay, so I do think they're going to start to gain more respect, but overall, and I'm not saying this. Because I because I grew up as a Kobe fan. I'm not saying what I'm about to say. I'm not saying that because of that. I'm just saying that the Lakers will still be seen as the as the team of LA. They'll they'll be seen they'll still be seen as the big brother. It's just that simple. That that that's how I see it. The Clippers have to you know start winning. You you, you got to get. And again, a lot of these championships are from way back. The last time the Lakers won was 2010. I was 11. I I remember that year. 
2009 was pretty... Here's the thing. Even to me, 2009 was a joke because it was against the Magic. I was like, Lakers and Magic? That just... Like, who cares about who cares about Jameer Nelson, Dwight Howard, Rashard Lewis? You know, those guys. I, I didn't care about those guys. I knew we were going to win. Then we beat the Celtics, which was, like, great. And then we didn't do anything. So it's been it's been almost a decade since the Lakers have done anything. Um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But at the end of this season, even if everything goes completely right for the Lakers, or I should say if everything goes completely right for the Lakers, and if everything goes completely wrong for the Lakers, it's still going to be a Laker town at the end of this season. Clippers have a long way to go. They have a long, they're gaining ground. I'm going to give that to them. They're gaining some ground. But the Lakers are still LA's team. Okay. So I'm not, I'm done with that specific topic, but I'm not done with the Lakers. I'm not going to talk about the game. Because remember, the NBA season is a marathon. It's 82 games, a lot of travel, you know. It, it, you're gonna win some, you're gonna lose some. Everyone can't win their, their opener. It's just, it's just that possible. Okay. Jason Kidd posted a photo, um, this is from Fox News. Jason Kidd gets ripped on social media for leaving out Lakers coach in tweet to team. Okay. When Jason Kidd joined, L.A. Lakers coach Frank Vogel's staff in the summer, there was immediate speculation that the former NBA point guard was eyeing a bigger role with the team. Kidd's motives were questioned again Tuesday when he tweeted a photo of himself with some players from the Lakers, including LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Alex Caruso. The photo included a tiny shot of Vogel's Vogel over the Caruso's right shoulder. And let me just say this. I brought this up before. I I would like to give Jason Kidd the benefit of the doubt, but Jason Kidd is mostly about himself. He's a guy that's hard to get along with. He's not a well-liked guy. Okay? You know, he he just he's just one of those guys that you either that you either you're cool with or you can't stand him. I, I'm not surprised that this happened. Here's what you can't do. And this is this was so stupid by the Lakers. I don't know what they were thinking. I I'm I my care I'm curious. Who in the Lakers organization said, you know what? Along with Frank Vogel, let's have Lionel Hollins. And Jason Kidd as the assistant coaches. And then some people said, well, that's one damn good idea. That, I mean, I mean, why not do that? I mean, perfect. It, it, it was such a stupid idea. When you've been a head coach, you, you look through, you look through things. You see, you see yourself and you are naturally going to be a little bit jealous of the person who is the head coach. It's, it's a, it's a demotion. 
It's a, it's a move down in your career. Now, Jason Kidd has not been, has not had a great, uh, run as a head coach at all. And let me, let me just say this. Jason Kidd, uh, you can't have multiple, you can't have multiple visions of, you can't have multiple visions of the future in an organization. You need to have one vision, one goal, and you need to collectively go for that. Frank Vogel, ultimately, he's the head coach, so he has the final say-so. But you got to you got to look at it this way. Jason Kidd, he's a he's a stubborn guy. He's a guy who's been a head coach. Lionel Hollins has also been a head coach. They all have their ideas to share. The Lakers, you know, the Lakers still don't have a president of basketball operations. LeBron, you could say, is coach number four. He's he's the coach on the floor. And when he's on the sideline, he's also coaching, along with laughing and stuff like that. This this was just stupid. It was such a stupid idea to hire Jason Kidd. I mean, if you see this picture, Frank Vogel, literally. I mean, look at this. Look at this. Jason Kidd is in the middle of the photo. The the, the Lakers are in a huddle. You can see the the back and uh, left profile of LeBron James. Then you see Alex Caruso, and then. Barely getting into the frame of the picture is head coach Frank Vogel. You can, you, you can only see a little bit of his hair, the top of his forehead, his eyebrow ridge, and some eyelashes. That's the only thing you can see of Frank Vogel. The tweet said a new chapter of at Lakers basketball begins tonight. Hashtag game day, hashtag Lake show. And I'm telling you something, if you looked at this photo, you would think, you would think Jason Kidd is the head coach. If you, it's, it's like this, if someone woke up from a coma, if someone, how can I put this? If someone went into a coma during the finals, and then they just woke up today and they saw this picture. They would think, oh, wow, Jason Kidd's the head coach, the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. Wow, that, that's incredible. But he's not. It's the assistant coach. This is not a good look. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what the Lakers were thinking when they did this. You have three visions. Un- it, it's, it's unintentional, but it's just natural. When you go, when you, here's the thing, in in a career, you try to move upward in a career. Even moving, even if you move sideways, it's kind of seen as a type of demotion or, you know, going down. Jason Kidd, do you think Jason Kidd enjoys being the head coach? I mean, enjoys being the assistant coach? Seriously, like, do you think that? I think he and Lionel Hollins are praying that the season goes badly. 
because it's very easy because all they would say is like all Jason all Jason specifically Jason Kidd. I think Lionel Hollins I think naturally he's gonna have a little bit of an ego, but not as big as Jason as Jason Kidd's. Let's say the Lakers go let's say they go um let's say they go fifty and thirty two. Let's say they go fifty and thirty two. Okay, so they don't want, and let's say they don't win the championship, alright? You know, and let's say they do it again next year, or they do a little bit better, or just slightly worse. Jason Kidd's gonna come along and say, hey, you know, clearly Frank, clearly Frank can't do this. You've already got someone who has head coaching experience, I'm already in the franchise, I'm familiar with these guys, move him out, and put me in. It'd be it'd be like this. It'd be one of the smoothest transitions you could have. And so now you have this, and I'm telling you, man, this this just this this is just this was just a dumb hire. This was just a dumb, stupid hire. One one person tweeted, um, uh. James Toast, uh, definitely scheming to get Vogel's job already. Oh, he he started scheming the minute he got hired. Kid, another one says, Kid already looking more like the head coach than Vogel. Lol. And if I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you, I I really encourage you, look up the picture, look up Jason Kidd's tweet. He looks like the head coach, but he's not. He's not, I'm, I'm telling you. He looks just like it, and you can barely see Frank Vogel. You can easily miss it. Like, I saw this, I saw this, um, I saw this, uh, tweet, and I was like, and they, and, and I saw that someone said that Frank Vogel was in it. I was searching for him for maybe, for maybe five minutes. I couldn't find him. I was like, bro, where is he? But then I, I went over to another article and they said, oh, he, you know, he's, you know, you can see him next to Alice Caruso's right shoulder. And that's the one that I'm on now. And I look and I, and I zero in on his right shoulder and lo and behold, that is Frank Vogel's forehead. This just is not a good look. Kid has previously coached the Brooklyn Nets and Milwaukee Bucks. He was traded by the Nets to the Bucks after one season for two draft picks. In four seasons with the Bucks, he was 139 and 152 and was fired during the 2017-2018 season. He only led the Bucks to two playoff appearances in that span. He then joined the Lakers in the offseason. Okay, let me let me just get into some history concerning Jason Kidd, all right? I'm telling you, this was just not a good idea. What would make what would make anyone think to hire him as an assistant? Who thought that would be a good idea? This is from this is from 2014. Okay. While he was while he was with the Nets. Alright? Jason Kidd has had a Hall of Fame career as a player, which is true. 
He really has. He was quite the player. A lot of iconic moments. Famously, he took the Nets from the cellar to two consecutive NBA Finals. As he showed promise as their coach this past season, and he showed promise as their coach this past season. But this latest turn of events has done nothing to diminish his reputation as a tricky character. Here's a history of kids' past incidents. And remember, remember, this is this is just, uh, some of these are just allegations, okay? Some of these are just allegations. All right? So just just stay with me. But remember, as the old saying goes, you know, where there's where there's smoke, there's a fire. Okay? That's, you know, that can that tends to be the case. And especially when you have a repeated repeated history. Okay? From from, you know, different people. When he was a freshman at Cal, Kidd reportedly instigated a mutiny that led to Lou Campanelli's firing. In the mid-90s, Kidd feuded with uh, Dallas teammate Jim Jackson, which led to him being him demanding, him demanding a trade. Kidd ultimately ended up in Phoenix. In January of 01, Kidd was arrested for hitting his now ex-wife, Jumana. He pleaded guilty to spousal abuse and was fined $200 in order to take anger management training. He was eventually traded to the Nets. In 2004, Kidd helped run New Jersey coach Byron Scott out of town. The point guard screamed at Scott during a December 2003 locker room tirade. In December 07, Kidd reportedly went on strike by complaining of a migraine and missing a game against the Knicks. He was then he was then asked out and was traded back to the Mavericks. In the 2008 playoff game against the Hornets, Kidd was ejected after a flagrant foul for flipping Gennaro Pargo. He was not suspended. In 2010, Kidd intentionally ran into Atlanta coach Mike Woodson on the sideline during the game. He drew a technical foul on Woodson as a result. The move essentially won the game for the Mavericks. Gamesmanship or something else. In the summer of 2012, Kidd gave Dallas a verbal commitment to re-sign. But he later decided to spurn the Mavericks and depart for New York for a similar deal. Kidd retired just one season into his two-year contract with the Knicks. A little more than a week after joining the Knicks, Kidd was charged with driving while intoxicated after he crashed his SUV into a utility pole on Long Island. He eventually pleaded guilty and was later suspended for the first two regular season games of his coaching career. In late November 2013, Kidd was involved in the infamous Sodagate incident. And it's actually kind of funny if you look at the footage. When he told Tyshawn, Tyshawn Taylor to hit him, while he was holding a cup of soda which fell and had to be cleaned up. The Nets didn't have any timeouts at the time. Kidd was fined 50000 by the NBA for his actions. After being hired by the Nets as coach, Kidd wanted to bring in his former coach, Lawrence Frank, as his assistant and mentor. The Nets made Frank the highest paid assistant in NBA history by giving him a six-year, $6 million, contract, $6 million contract with the possibility to move into the front office. It turned out to be a disaster. In November, Kidd reportedly used a 13-letter word in an expletive-filled rant at Frank. Just 17 games in, following a 5-12 and start, Frank was reassigned to daily reports. On Saturday night, news broke that Kidd had made a failed power play with the Nets and was in discussions about becoming the next coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. The Nets traded Kidd's coaching rights to the Bucks in exchange for two second-round picks on Monday. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the guy who is the assistant head coach, is the assistant coach 
for the Los Angeles Lakers. That's the guy. Can, can, uh, you wouldn't believe it. And mind you, this is just up to 2014. Okay? This is the person that... He's not a guy that can really be trusted. Obviously, he wants the head coaching spot. I don't understand. What would make you think to hire this guy? I I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But you know, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. And I think this is ultimately going to hurt. It's ultimately going to hurt the Lakers. I'm telling you, if the Lakers go on a losing streak, just watch Jason Kidd. Watch him. Just watch him. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, so that is that. Now let us get into a uh, an, an an unfortunate. Um. An unfortunate turn of events. Um, I followed this closely. And I have to be honest. I have to be honest. Um well, let me just let me just read the article and then I'll give you a little bit. Um I'll give you a little bit of the details. South Carolina police find remains of missing five-year-old. Navia Adams. Um, authorities in South Carolina say they have found the remains of a five-year-old girl more than two months after the man suspected of slaying her mother allegedly admitted to killing the child too. Now let me just let me just say this. Here's here's what I thought would happen. Um when I when it when it first came out, when the story first came out, I somewhat remember it. Once a month hit, I I just naturally accepted, I just, I believed that she was gone. That's just, that's just what I believed. I don't, I don't even know. To me, when it was one week, I was like, ah. Two weeks hit, I was like, she's gone. I, 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 I immediately, in my heart, I just, I felt it. When the when a month hit, I just I had to admit it openly to myself. I said, "Look, Solo, she's gone. She like she she's gone." And I, I was hopeful, but man, um, okay, this is back in the article. The body was found last Friday at a landfill near the town of Elgin, South Carolina, some forty miles southwest of the city of Sumter, where she lived with her mom. The Sumter Police Department announced Tuesday that DNA tests had confirmed the human remains were those of the little girl. This is not the outcome any of us would have wanted, Sumter Police Chief Russell Rourke said in a statement, but we hope this can provide some closure to the family. It took two weeks to prepare the landfill before authorities could begin searching, which is even more precious time. Landfill search experts with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children identified an area where human remains and other evidence in the case would most likely be found. Um, there's a picture of her, and she is she's gorgeous, and she's gone. 
And I just, you know, I found that I do a lot of story, a lot of stories on kids. Someone, someone just kind of mentioned that to me, and I, it real, I really, I just kind of stopped to think, and I realized that they were right that I do talk about, you know, children a lot because children, man, they're just so, uh, children are just so amazing, man. They really are. Like they're, they're such, they're such a gift to the world, and. They're, they're, they're the most pure you can you can ever be. The, old, the older you get, the less pure you are. Every, every, I mean, every day just goes down. I mean, from the minute you're born, it starts to go downhill. But kids are just so incredible, man. And I just, the reason, I think one of the reasons I do these stories is because I, I care about kids. And I think that they're so important where it's like, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. If you're going to... Here's the thing. If you're going to kill someone... If you're going to kill someone... I cannot comprehend. I can't comprehend. And I would actually like to get into the psychology concerning this. Of how someone can kill a child. Like five. There's This girl couldn't really have done anything. The best she could have done is run. And obviously it's a it's a... Little girl running against a grown man, she's not gonna make it. Unless he's like a paraplegic. I mean, she, she had no shot. I just, I don't understand what could cause someone to deliberately kill a child. I, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't I can't even there's a thin line between good and evil. There is. But there are certain things where I just look at it and I'm like, I don't know how you get to that place to where you to where you can do that. Adults, I get it. You can have a grudge against someone. Um, you know, okay, this person they've done something in their life where you know they're not really a good person, or you just you're angry at the person. But a child, I don't, I, a young child, five, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Even, let me say this, even if it's to get back at the parent, I still don't know how you do it. I, 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 I just, it sickens me. It absolutely sickens me. So then some 400 people from more than 40 agencies searched through about 4 million pounds of material at the Waste Management Richland County Landfill for her body. The local community and the state as a whole have been profoundly impacted by this case. It is our hope that the recovery will provide a sense of peace to her family, the community, and the hundreds of men and women who participated in this effort. The little girl has been missing since her mother, Sherry Bradley, was found dead inside their apartment in Center on the night of August 5th. Navia was nowhere to be found. I, I just, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. And let, let me just, I'm, I'm going to get into this, man. You, you know, 
some may say that okay, now you're just trying to you're just trying to, to support guns and stuff like that. Okay, sure, if you want to think that, go right ahead. But let me just let me just explain something very simple. You know, people talk about you know when there's an emergency to call the police, and it that is just not. I mean, it's good advice, but here's what you need to understand, and it's very basic. We don't have we don't have you know we don't have teleportation devices okay we can't just be in one place and then snap our fingers and we show up at a desired location police have to arrive they have to get they have to leave where they are and they have to get to the destination in matters like this it's the it's it is the moments that matter not the minutes This is from this is from a securelife.com. And this is from uh, this was a study from that was published this year and it's on police response times in US cities. When emergencies come up, it's comforting to know that first responders are typically only a few minutes away, regardless of where you are in the city. But since every minute counts in these instances, it should be every second. We decided to look to take a look at average police response times in a number of big cities throughout the U.S. Response times differ from city to city based on factors like city population, police funding, and available resources in a given region. When it comes to priority one calls, the highest priority emergencies that usually include life-threatening emergencies or dangerous active crimes, the difference between a 5-minute and a 10-minute response time can make all the difference. Now, these are the 10 major cities ranked by average police response time. Number one, San Francisco, five and a half minutes. Houston, Texas, five and a half minutes. LA, six minutes. New York, uh, 6.7 minutes. San Antonio, 6.9 minutes. Austin, Texas, uh, seven minutes, uh, 7.15 minutes. Dallas, Texas, 8.39 minutes. Seattle, 9 minutes. San Jose, 9.2. Fort Worth, Texas, 9.5. It, it, I, I just... Listen. Listen. Police have to arrive. You... You have to... You have to protect your family. I remember I was talking to my parents one day, and this is mostly something that I deal with with my mom, where I remember I talked about how I was going to get... I think I've given this story before, but we were listening to a radio program called Pastor's Perspective. And um, it's an... First of all, it's an interesting radio show. I personally don't like it. I don't really like hearing about random people's problems from people that I'm not even remotely connected to. And a lot of the time, you know, it's a very easy fix. Um, but anyway, that that's not the point. But one, one call came up where the question was about, you know, is it okay for Christians to own a gun? And this was like the first time ever... I actually listened to the call and I was like, okay, this is something that actually interests me. And it's actually a good question. Okay. But anyway, my mom and I talked about it. And my mom and I 
I, she asked me, would I ever own a gun? And I said, absolutely. And she was, uh, she didn't like the answer. And she was like, she immediately tried to pull the don't you trust God card. And I said, listen, I said, we all trust God to a degree. Abraham trusted God to a degree. And he's considered the father of faith. Okay, he, he was, he was, you know, he was an extremely, he was a guy who was really connected to God and really, you know, believed on him. But belief and faith, it only goes so far. I remember I, I remember I asked my mom, I was like, why do we have an alarm for our home? Why do we have an alarm system? She didn't, she never answered. She, she, she never answered. But it's like, okay, you want, you want to pull God into this. Why do we lock the doors at night? Why do you lock your car? Why do you have, why do you lock your front door? Why don't you just, why don't you just leave your purse on the ground? Why don't you count your money in public? Why don't, why, there are so many things that you can do. I mean, if, I mean, if you trust him that much, just, just, just lit, just go ahead and do those things. But that's not going to happen. It is, I, I, I personally, personally believe families, and you may call this sexist, but I believe every father, you know, every dad, every husband, at least for sure every husband and father, okay, you need to have a gun in your home so that way you can protect your family if something bad happens. You can call the police and just hope that they don't find you. Hope hope that nothing bad happens to you. Listen, break-ins happen all the time. And most break-ins aren't, you know, they aren't at night. Most break-ins are during the day when most people are at work. Remember, there are these are criminals. They're low lives. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have jobs. This is how they make their living. They steal. Okay? So it's like, what if your wife, what if your wife is at home with the kids, you know, it's summertime, you know, she's, you know, she's there with the kids, and there's a break-in. What are you, what are you going to do? What, what's she going to do? What are the kids going to do? Call the police, call the police and hide? You, you have to protect yourself. And let me say this. There are other ways that you can decrease your chances of, you know, getting your home broken into. You know, having dogs, you know, having long driveways. Um, you know, there, there are many, there are many deter, there are many deterrents that you can have for your home. But things do happen. Sometimes, you know, you want to fight back. You have to protect your family. You have to, and I, I just, I don't understand how you can, and here, and here's what you don't want. Like people say, oh, you know, you don't need a gun. You can just have, you know, a bat. Okay. Here's the thing about a baseball bat. A baseball bat, first of all, you have to swing it. So you have to, you have to, you have to bring it back 
And then you have to go forward with it to add some power to it. And you have you have to be in close range. You want to you want to minimize or I should say you want to maximize the amount of space you have between you and the intruder. Now I'm no safety expert. I'm not at all. I'm as I, as you guys know, I'm not an expert on anything. But I know that you don't want to be close to the person who's you know with you. You want an unfair advantage. You want a, you want a height advantage. Okay, you want height, you want distance. You want to set your home up in a way that you can protect yourself and most importantly your family and your love your loved ones. I mean, I mean I'm not I'm not married now or I don't have kids now, but my biggest my worst nightmare would be something, you know, my wife being at home or something happening to her and I'm not there and I I can't do anything for her. And I and I'm pretty much at the complete mercy of the person in the home. Of the person who's breaking into my home. I mean that that's a nightmare. You 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 have to protect your kids, man. You got to protect your family. You have to. And and you know, if you don't um I I just I have a lot of questions concerning concerning your family like do, like I don't necessarily want to ask, okay, do you even care about your family because I don't want to do that. But it's like, look man, things happen. They do. The police don't just teleport there and it's not like it's not like minority if you've ever seen the movie Minority Report, it's very interesting. If you haven't seen it, it's it's good. I I recommend it. Um, I'm not a big fan of uh, Tom Cruise, but it's a it's a good movie. But anyway, in this movie called Minority Report, um, you have people. You have uh, they're called a pre-crime unit, and what they are, they are police. And pretty much what happens is when a crime is about to be committed, they are they are alerted, and it says, "Okay, this crime is about to happen," and so they can go. And stop the crime before it happens. Okay, first of all, that's a horrible world to live in. Just saying. Because that means you're being, you know, watched all the time, every place. And you are, you would be getting arrested before you do, before you commit a crime. Or what, I I should say what appears to be a crime. Now let me say this. The the police, they they have to get there. They they have they have to get there. You can't just you can't just you know. I I just I don't know I don't know how you could sleep at night with your family with the best thing you with. Here's the thing: an alarm system is great. It's very important. You know, if usually if a burglar um, sees that there's an alarm system, it's a strong deterrent, and they're like, um, no. It also lowers insurance rates, just so you know, having an alarm system. But you look at this and you say, okay, the best thing I have is an alarm. So, okay, so the police are alerted. Okay, what am I going to do in the meantime? What, what, what am I, what am I going to do in the meantime? Because here's what you have to understand. 
you have more to lose than the burglar. You have, you, it's your home, your wife, your kids, your significant other, your possessions, their, you know, their lives, your life. The only thing the burglar really has to lose is his life and potentially his freedom, you know, you know, when the police, when the police arrive and when they get him, if they get him, I should say. That's what you have to do. You just have to look at it as, okay, who has more to lose? I do. Because they're coming into my place where your your home, your home is your sanctuary. Your home is where, you know, you can be yourself. Your home is where your loved ones are. Your home is where, you know, you have sex, where you you make memories with your kids, you know, you're cooking, you're eating, you're laughing, you're sitting together watching TV. That's where it is. But when you don't do that, it's like, well, I don't know what you want. What are we supposed to do? The burglar, the burglar's like, yeah, I could lose my life, but you have a lot more to lose. I just, I, I don't know. I, I just, personally, personally, I'm going to, I'm going to have, you know, I'm, I'm going to protect my, I'm going to protect my family. And that's going to involve me owning multiple guns. And hopefully I can, you know, hopefully my, my future girlfriend slash wife, hopefully they know how to shoot a gun and how to properly use one and do all of that. So that way, if I'm not there and she's there, then she can do it, which would, it, my preference would be that I do it and not her. But if something needs to be done, then one of us can do it. Okay. So hopefully, you know, and if she, and if she doesn't, I'm going to teach her how to do it. And I'm going to have her, you know, take courses, you know, learn gun terminology, you know, practice. So that way, if something happens, you can protect yourself and you can protect your family and you don't have situations like this. You have to, you, you got to protect your family, man. I just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying to not trust the police. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying they simply got to get to where you are. You you have to get to where you are. They have to they have to they have to arrive to your home. They have to arrive to to the scene of the crime. If you're walking, you know, and I seriously don't recommend this, but I mean sometimes sometimes you have to. But especially if you're a woman, and you're walking alone at night, you know there are there are bad dudes out there. Most people aren't criminals, but there are some bad dudes out there where it's like okay, you know. Who can I get tonight? Who can I who can I rate tonight? Oh look at that. There's a there's a five foot four, you know, you know, lady, and I'm, you know, I'm six three. Or I'm or I'm just naturally bigger than her, or because I'm a guy, I can easily overpower her. There was a story of these three guys who were gonna try to rape this woman down the street, and it sounds like some kind of a movie, but this really happened. Um, but there were these three guys, it was either three or five guys and they were going to go like gang rape this woman on the street or they were going to try to get her so that they could gang rape her, but she had a gun and you know what happened? She didn't get raped. They said, Oh no, we picked the wrong person 
and they ran, and she remained safe. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man, you just, the world, the world is getting safer. It really is. This is the best time to ever live. But bad things do happen. There are bad people that exist. So, you know, if nothing else, if, if not for you, if not for you, do it, do it for your loved ones. Do it for your wife. Do it for your kids. Do it for your home. I, I, I really don't know what else to say about this, man. I, this story just, it broke my heart when it, when it first came out, when it first, when she first went missing. I said, oh, Jesus, please. Like, let her, let her be found and let her be okay. But no. She's dead.